In the realm of true crime, every crime scene tells a story. Every story has its truths. These are the stories from inside the crime scene tape that separates fact from fiction. Looks are deceiving. You know, that's, a, that's an old adage, but looks are very deceiving. Don't, just because they look clean cut, don't think they are. Well, hell, Ted Bundy, look at Ted Bundy. Look at what he did. I mean, he was considered a handsome man, clean cut man. Look at all the people he did. Former Texas prison warden David Stacks holds a unique perspective on personal safety one that emerges from the heart of Texas' most notorious prisons. He spent a 30-year career overseeing some of the meanest and most dangerous inmates that the Lone Star State has ever known. I interviewed Stax at the Texas Prison Museum in Huntsville, where he serves as its director. Its exhibits show the history of the world's biggest prison system, the good, the bad, the ugly. We delve into a world rarely seen by most. It's a world where hardened criminals roam, a world that's been home to serial killers, sexual predators, and some of the most violent individuals in Texas history. You will want to stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear the veteran warden answer a question that I get all the time about the movie The Shawshank Redemption. I explore the invaluable insights that Stax has gained through decades of managing violent offenders and ask him to share his personal safety tips. These are lessons forged in the crucible of Texas prisons, and they are lessons that can help you avoid becoming a victim of violent crime. With all your experience of dealing with uh, violent criminals behind bars, what advice do you have to the public about staying safe, being aware, what to be on the lookout for? I would tell your listeners the same thing I tell my, my wife and my family, and that is, one, don't go somewhere that looks seedy. I don't care how much you need this shirt or this pant, don't go, okay? Uh, two, for instance, walking down the sidewalk, you need to assess who's coming at you. Uh, uh, now you can call that, you know, stereotyping. You can call it whatever you want, but the heck with that. You got to you got to be aware of your surroundings, and you need to assess who's coming to you. If they if they got their uh, clothes being worn in a certain way that look like they might be a banger, they probably are, you know. Mm -hmm. And you need to be aware of that. Uh, you need to be aware, you know, in my opinion, if they've got a, a lot of uh, tear drops and things like that on their face, that's a sign of uh, some criminal activity. Uh, at least it was back when the criminals I dealt with. Uh, and, and once that person comes to you for that incident as far as walking on the sidewalk, uh, you turn around and make sure he's still walking away from you. 
just don't expect to think that he's still walking. You need to turn around and verify he ain't turning around picking hit you in the head or put a gun to your back or something like that. Uh, I would say, I would say for most, like I told my son, years when growing up, my son, he liked to, that generation, my son, they didn't even get ready to go out until 10 o'clock at night. Well, my generation, you couldn't wait to get out, you know. I would tell your audience that they need to size people up when they meet them, when they're discussing them. Never turn your back on somebody. Uh, if you can walk away from a situation, by all means, walk away from it. Uh, it doesn't mean you're a coward. It means you're smart. Uh, there's been situations in the penitentiary where uh, uh, I could have engaged in an inmate toe-to-toe, but um, it was best to get some assistance, you know, and uh, uh, I think the same vernacular applies out in the world. Uh, you need to be smart about your surroundings. You need to be smart how you're going to engage. Watch your, watch your verbiage, you know. Don't get in an argument. I mean, there's some crazy people out there doing some crazy stuff right now. I mean, for no reason. I mean, it it floors me what's happening in some of our cities. <laughs> it just, it, it, they walk amongst us. I mean, to put it that way. For college co-eds, any behaviors, you know, that the guy may look like one of them or what are, are there behaviors that you should be watching for? Yeah. I, you know, just because you go to the penitentiary doesn't mean you've got tattoos all over you. Doesn't mean your face is full of tattoos. Doesn't mean you've got a, a gold grill. Doesn't mean that you uh, have long, grangy hair. There are some well-groomed, handsome men and women in the penitentiary. And they take advantage of that. I have a daughter. And I always told my daughter when she worked at Sam Houston State, the same thing I told my son, nothing good happens after midnight. And just because this person may look like he is prim and proper, you don't go anywhere. Even if you're stranded, you call me, I'll come get you. Call a friend, call somebody, but don't go with someone you don't know or you just met in class maybe 30 days before. Uh, to me, whether you're a male or a female, Putting yourself in that environment, you don't know if you're going to come out of that environment in a good shape or not come out of it all. And there's been people. Kenneth McDuff's a good example of that. For my new listeners, Kenneth McDuff was a notorious serial killer released on parole under a cloud of corruption. After walking out of prison, McDuff resumed a spree of abductions and murders that lasted two and a half years. McDuff briefly worked as a convenience store clerk after his release. Co-workers had no idea about his horrific criminal record. To them, he just looked like a big, awkward guy, which is typical. Serial killers blend in. They walk amongst us and don't look scary. At least not until their mugshot is published with the gory details of their crimes. In our previous episode, Stacks recalled the well-heeled funeral home director who murdered his wife in cold blood. He was a pilot, and she had turned him in for smuggling drugs into the U.S. from Mexican cartels. He killed her, put her body in a bathtub, 
dissolved her body with chemicals, and down the drain she went. He was a nice-looking man. I mean, he was a handsome man. He was very professional. I mean, he was a professional. He was a he. He ran funeral homes. Uh, yeah, I mean, don't looks are deceiving. You know, that's a that's an old adage, but looks are very deceiving. Don't just because they look clean cut, don't think they are. Well, hell, Ted Bundy. Look at Ted Bundy. Look at what he did. I mean, he was. A, Considered a handsome man, clean-cut man, but look at all the people he killed. You know, so yeah. If, if there's uh, my advice to anybody, old or young, don't put yourself in that situation. Get to know who you who you're going to be around. Make sure you know what they're capable of, and and uh, watch your surroundings. Stacks took the measure of the convicted criminals under his supervision by studying their behavior, past and present. I think your best way of determining a person's future, look at his history. That's always been my way of managing a man. If he has uh, been a turd all his life, uh, he's going to have to be, be not a turd for a long time before I changed my view of him. And I'm sorry for your listeners using that terminology. But um, uh, most, I think it's pretty common, uh, humans are creatures of their, you know, their their habits, you know. And and, um, a lot of these guys just continue to do the same stuff and same stuff and same stuff because that's all they know. And that's that's all they want to be. I don't know how you can't as a, as a person who studies the mind, can't associate that behavior with where that person is right now. That's my my view. I don't know if that clarifies much here, but that's my kind of my view. I always looked at the person's history. I always thought, you know, this guy, he's doing this. If he was doing good and he was changing his behavior, first thing in my mind is, why is he doing that? Why is he changing his behavior? Is it because he really is tired and fed up and wants to be a good guy? Or is he trying to manipulate the system, get in a position where he can do something? That was always the way I looked at this type of guy's behaviors. Is uh, Although I had a good hope that they were changing for the right reasons, I never put all my money in it. A recent escape attempt was foiled by an alert college student who works at the prison museum. She spotted an inmate jumping from a 15-foot-high red brick wall around the prison yard of the Walls Unit. It's the oldest Texas prison, established in 1849, located in downtown Huntsville. It also houses the Texas Death Chamber. She calls me, and she says, uh, uh, Mr. Stack says, uh, I just saw an inmate jump off the wall over here at the Huntsville Unit. I said, well, where are you? And she told me. Gave me a kind of a geographical. I said, well, give me a building. Where are you at? And she told me. I said, she described the building. I said, okay. I said, where's the guy at now? What is he wearing? What color he is? He's, well, he's a Hispanic. Appears to be a Hispanic man. He's wearing a white shirt, white pant. And he's going to every car that he sees, seeing if it's open. The college student who was hot on the trail called the police. The escapee was on foot, headed towards Sam Houston State University, which has a noted College of Criminal Justice. 
Stacks called the prison's warden, who locked down the Walls unit and started counting inmates. Stacks was alarmed because of an escape that turned deadly a few months earlier. A fugitive member of a Mexican cartel executed a family of five and stole their truck from a rural weekend cabin to make his getaway. I guess it was a natural instinct for me. I left. I'm not a law enforcement officer, but we just had a very unfortunate incident happen in Texas where a whole family got massacred up in Centerville, Texas. And, and I did not want to see something like that happen, obviously, in, in Huntsville or anywhere else. So I got my truck and I started going and I was talking to um, uh, this young lady. You know, where are you now? Where are you now? And I kind of just cold trailed her phone call messages. And sure enough, the law enforcement pulled this guy over. He had stopped at a parking lot at Sam Houston on their campus, convinced this young student to give him a ride. Still wearing his white uniform. He got in the car with the guy. I'll be back after this break. Hello, this is Robert, and I want to ask a small favor. Will you please tell your friends who love true crime to follow the True Crime Reporter podcast? As you know, it's one of the few podcasts where you can hear raw, unfiltered accounts from law enforcement experts, victims, and even convicted criminals. And please sign up for my free newsletter. The form is on every page of my website. Finally, I am so thankful to my Apple listeners who have given the podcast five-star reviews. Your reviews on all of the channels are extremely helpful in spreading the word about this podcast. Now, back to our episode. He was a young Hispanic student. They started driving off. I don't know what the verbiage was, the discussion was between the student and the convict, but obviously he convinced him to Mm -hmm. let him get a ride. And they took off, and uh, by the time the officers pulled this vehicle over, I pulled up, I mean, within just a few seconds and got him out, handcuffed him, and uh, offered my assistance to the law enforcement. Earlier in our interview, Stack's personal safety tips included sizing up people and not going anywhere with a stranger. Yet, an unwitting college student gave a strange man wearing a white shirt and pants, characteristic of Texas prison inmates, a ride. Let that be a lesson. I'll be back after this message. During my investigation of corruption in the Texas Parole Board, its unsavory members often justified the release of inmates with a violent history by describing them as model inmates. Is any measure of them being, quote, a model inmate or how they behave in prison, is it really a a true measure of how they may behave when they're back in society? You know, I would say uh, no, because, and the reason I say no, you've got to understand we're, while they're in prison, they're in a very structured environment. We're telling them when to get up, when to go eat, when to shower, when to go to work, when to stop working. And a lot of those guys need that structure. And 
when they get out, if they don't have a coach out there helping them make those type of basic decisions that you and I make every day, uh, they get in a wreck pretty quick. Now, I will have to say this. I have seen some men who have totally changed their heart. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind they they, they were a changed person. Uh, and and I, I give all that glory to God, you know, for changing that. And the, out of my whole career of the ones that have been out, I can probably count them on my hand. I mean, probably five, six that are gotten out, done well, or still out doing well. Most of them have gotten out and have died, but uh, there's two or three of them that are still out there that send me, you know, a Christmas card or a birthday card and say, thank you for showing me the light, you know, mm-hmm. mentoring me, showing me how I need to change my behavior and change my who I am. Finally, I asked Stax a question that I get all of the time. Is the depiction of sexual assault in the Hollywood movie, The Shawshank Redemption, true to life behind bars? Everybody thinks that the new inmate coming in is beat down, beat up, raped, what have you. What's the, what was your experience in seeing? My experience has been that in the 30 years that I did with the Department of Corrections, I never once. Never once had a sexual assault. Now, that doesn't mean they haven't happened. Obviously, they have. But I can honestly say I've never had an inmate get sexually assaulted, raped, if if you will, uh, on my watch. Now, that was brought to my attention. Let me put it that way, okay? Now, was there some consensual sexual activity occurring? Yeah, unfortunately, those things happen. It's not because we agree to it. We allow it to happen, but it does happen. And they know where it's kind of like the the inmate that, or the, the person that robs uh, somebody's house. They know they can probably get in that house, but they wouldn't try it if there was a police car in a driveway. Same way in the penitentiary. If there's an officer on a cell block, they're not going to try and do something illicit. They're going to wait till that officer's gone. Then they're going to try and do it. I mean, that's just the way human nature is, you know, in that that realm of thinking. But, yes, most inmates that come in, uh, they need to be on guard. They need to try and isolate themselves as much as they can, in my observation. Uh, If they have money being brought into them through the commissary accounts, they need to minimize what they spend. They don't need to go down and buy $100 worth of of, money. uh, candies and Cokes and stuff because uh, you just told uh, everybody on that cell block or in that penitentiary, that's our next target. That guy there's got more money and he's small or he's big or whatever. It doesn't matter how big you are. If you got money, they're going to try and get you money. That's what it's about. Just like they behave in the outside world. Absolutely. The, the prison, I think it's best said, the prison environment is nothing more than a small community of what you and I live in. There's good and bad out there. There's good and bad in the prison. There's good things happening in the prison. There's a lot of powerful things happening in our prisons here in Texas, from faith-based programs to uh, educational substance abuse programs, outstanding programs. But there are some inmates in there that don't want to have anything to do with it, and they're not going to have anything to do with it. And sooner or later, they have the ability to get out. 
In closing, here's my reporter's recap and reflections. I've met convicted criminals who have made remarkable changes in their lives, becoming better spouses, better parents, and even successful business owners after their release from prison. But as the veteran warden David Staggs pointed out, there are also career criminals who do not want to change, and they're walking amongst us. Please tell your friends who love true crime that they can bypass secondhand tales and get their true crime fix here with authentic stories straight from the source. Tell them that True Crime Reporter is one of the few podcasts where you can hear raw, unfiltered accounts from law enforcement victims and even convicted criminals. And sign up for my free newsletter on the homepage of TrueCrimeReporter.com. It's your gateway to a world of knowledge and awareness in the realm of true crime and your personal safety. Thanks for listening, and until we meet again, be prepared, don't get scared. This is Robert Riggs reporting.